Welcome to Global Yardi. This podcast captures conversations on culture and sustainable living and connects people from all over the world. I am Dana Lynn, the Global Yardi and your host. Thanks for tuning in. Global Yardi. 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 Today I am here with Aisha Constable at COP25. It's Chile's COP25, but in Madrid, Spain. Uh, wonderful environment, an environment that we expect to see a lot of messages, activities, presentations, exhibitions, all talking about the urgency of climate change, how important climate change is and how important it is that we take action, that we get up off our, what can I say, hands? <laughs> that we stop talking and acting, but the conversation needs to happen. But I want to throw over to Aisha, who has done extensive and phenomenal work where climate change, research and engagement, youth engagement, adaptation, all that is concerned. Aisha, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm too, I'm very, very happy to be here at COP25. Um, I must say that Spain has done an awesome job pulling this event together in record time. And as you mentioned, the urgency, and you see that in the name and and the hashtag that they're putting forward, climate emergency, um, calling for urgent and immediate action to stem the wave of climate change that we're seeing. Um, Dana has been very kind. I don't know so much about phenomenal work, (laughs) but we keep doing what we can where we can in the best way that we can. That, that's so true. How long have you been in the space working in climate change? Um, actively involved in this work for the past, I would say, 10 years. Started out initially uh, doing work primarily in environment, very broadly. Worked with environmental NGOs, organized national beach cleanups and wrote proposals to small entities to um, get funding from like an EFJ and other funding entities in Jamaica and uh, later on when the issue of climate change became you know something a lot more topical and, and opportunities were created from its venture into the space it was a natural transition into that primarily because I'd started doing graduate studies um, in, in climate change and so I, I shifted but I, I would consider it an extension of the work I started because the reach of climate change is such that every sphere particularly in in environmental realm will be touched and so I have not not, like I said, moved on from it. I've expanded and that expansion has meant also integrating some other considerations um, which I suppose we will speak to a little bit. Alright, so you mentioned that you have 10 years. You've been working in this space for over 10 years. Mm -hmm. When you think about when you started then versus now and what is happening around us and people talking about the climate crisis, Mm -hmm. how much have things changed and how much has our attitudes changed? Uh, there has been a significant shift in the perspectives, in the attitudes, in the awareness of climate change even, and certainly in the 
rate at which that change is taking place. When I would have started, climate change was relatively a foreign concept, particularly in um, jurisdictions like ours, where you know we speak to day-to-day weather. Nobody talks about 30-year means and whatnot. Um, you know, we have a lot of our industries and sectors being based or steeped in climate-sensitive um, areas. So, you know, people talk about the day-to-day weather conditions. So climate change came on the scene, and as you can imagine, it was driven largely by international development agencies who were then talking about climate change. Institutions such as the WMO, IPCC, who were then doing publications. And gradually, you saw the narrative shift towards, um, you know, a growing trend and things related to sea level change. So it, it moved largely from global warming, um, the greenhouse effect, the ozone layer depletion, to what we're seeing now. And I think one of the things that's also very apparent is that the shift also meant a shift in the politics around climate change. There's clearly a whole lot more at stake. There is a greater divide between the developing and developed countries and with the urgency and the, the gravity of the implications no more apparent, you see the the shift, you know, the agitation on the parts of developing countries to get more traction out of the, the available resources at least um, so that they can do the work that's necessary to adapt to climate impacts. Alright, so a part of this podcast we talk about capturing these kind of perspectives and yes, we'd hope that experts are listening in, but we want to really reach out to persons who are not in the front row seat mm-hmm. of this conversation and even for me having started um, having an interest in climate change as well I participated this morning in a panel discussion facilitated hosted by the IDB to get the perspective of Latin American and Caribbean youth youth leads who are working in this space who have experience in this space what are their experiences what are we doing what are we not doing and do you think that the public understanding the action and the urgency that we're talking about is there a connection right now because a lot of us are saying the youth are saying that this there's a disconnect there is a lot of disassociation and these conversations are happening but we still feel as if it is fragmented because a larger population still don't feel involved and included in this process now that you've mentioned that i must go back to what i said earlier and mention that one of the very obvious changes that we've seen in the positive in the right direction is with youth engagement uh, the whole idea of climate change the, the theories of climate change the practice of it was largely a top-down approach yes. in the initial years it, it came from the development agencies it was government-led and what we are clearly seeing these days is that that process is being driven largely by people themselves citizens right and more so young people uh, the recently held UN Youth Climate Summit uh, I think paid uh, or made really good reference to young people and their role in even bringing about the concept of a youth summit uh, the Secretary General used the opportunity to say that it was the young people and their action that made them see the need to bring together young people in such a fashion we see what groups such as Extinction Rebellion are doing, we see what Fridays for Future are doing, we see what the Greta Thunbergs are doing and we see what other young 
people in other parts of the world are doing in their own ways and spaces to ensure that this thing is is given you know due due urgent treatment um added to that is the fact that young people themselves recognize what's at stake for them we see young people in the uk who have decided that they will not have children until this climate crisis is addressed and we see young people who have decided that they're not going to have, eat meat you know because of what is at stake you've seen young people who are deciding that they're not going to buy clothes they're, they'll they'll thrift and they'll reuse because they do not want to, to to contribute to what they see as this worsening crisis and this is to say that young people are making some real grave decisions and sacrifices if i may add it as, as a response to this growing threat um we cannot discount the the need for partnership between young people and you know technocrats the government the powers that be um however a lot has to be said for the way in which young people are bringing attention to the urgency for action right and I'm, I'm happy that you 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 brought up this point because listening to you I have a few questions as it relates to the youth engagement and the ways in which you mentioned but the strikes there is no denying that it has helped significantly to bring awareness but there are persons who may argue and me me introducing this is, is not saying this is my opinion but just for the purposes of the conversation and inclusive inclusivity inclusivity of the narrative how do the strikes beyond awareness how are the strikes translating into action and what of the and what of youth and also persons outside of the youth demography because even though we we understand the the passion and the significance of putting young people at the forefront and they're there the people who feel as if okay i want to do something the veganism going vegetarian reducing me stop wearing clothes those for some persons they may argue is they are extreme actions they're necessary sounds extreme how is it that we we, we take care to not polarize or alienate as well i know there's like several questions in there but but those things the, the strikes and 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 what is it doing outside of awareness is it is it because people are saying okay one 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 day or, or one meet up a global strikes but this every friday thing or this national so many mixed views what do you make of all of yeah. that um and 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 i think all those varying views and, and, and perspectives are valid but i don't think I, I i wouldn't venture to say that the strikes or any of these more personal actions are the panacea for what we're seeing in terms of you know climate the climate crisis however i do think there's a place for it i think on a personal level um and and this is a discussion that we've had um you and i dana in other spaces the question of how your personal philosophy influences your actions as it relates to climate action or anything else yes. um, is something that we have to um, be able to appreciate and i think despite again the climate crisis and the, the strikes rather themselves not creating this kind of um monumental shift uh, in the way that we'd like I think by virtue of doing what is happening and what they've done if nothing else they've created a space for themselves each other space for themselves they've said that we are stakeholders and we need to be a part of the discourse and the discussions and it has created um you know a, a kind of shift in people's minds yes so people are seeing how personal action i know that stemming from the strikes people have decided to abandon some of the um 
actions that they would have done right. in the past. Um, people are deciding that, okay, you know, I can do this, a possibility. So I can go do vegan. I can do recycling. Um, so that in and of itself is not going to solve the problem. But I think we have to appreciate that each small action adds up and, and, and give people leeway yes. to do what makes sense to them. Um, right. it, it's not a prescriptive approach and I wouldn't say that any of us should go around telling anybody yes. that you need to be vegan right. or you need to stop driving your car. right? Because people's personal experiences and, and um, perspectives will influence and determine what actions they decide to take. And you have to allow people that freedom. However, we, are, we must also you know, give credit and allow people to take the actions that they see fit and not look down and you know right. question and side eye people for doing that because people think people will say that some of what we're seeing is hypocritical mm -hmm. you know you're not eating meat but you're wearing luxury right. brands right you know and um if, if if we take that approach to it then where do we draw the line it's almost like a carbon environmentalist yes. yeah. what we would that what we term in jamaica where you're pulling each other down giving and and you know taking and giving with the same hands yeah and i'm happy that you answered it i'm happy for your response because even considering my role in the climate discussion and the climate conversation i am a communication practitioner by professional by profession and i say that not to say that you need to have a professional occupation to be a part of this process but a lot of times people tend to say okay what's your focus what's your and you have to remember that whatever you do it makes a difference yeah. so i i am not the climate scientist mm. i am not the engineer mm. i am not um, a technical expert in energy to tell you about the, the zero emissions of course if you're interested in a space you're supposed to arm yourself with the knowledge and try to have an understanding but that is not where my strength lies mm. and i think it's very important for us to send that message because when we talk about the collective action then you don't have people thinking that they lack capacity because they, they, they are not educated along a certain discipline or they don't have a particular experience even though arguably in the grander scheme of things depending on what you want to do you want to build a capacity and that's a, another conversation where we talk about young people who want to be innovative and the funding and to support certain things but we want people to understand as you as you rightly mentioned that there is space and you enter the battlefield with whatever it is that is your innate talent and what you can do so i'm really happy that you clarified that you also spoke about the un summit and of course it being a very significant uh, phenomenon as it relates to the largest ever gathering of young people to, to talk about climate change no both of us are from jamaica so we understand the reality or we know we know we, we are living the reality of how vulnerable our region is and we have other small island developing states that are not necessarily in the caribbean but there is asia pacific across the world people it, it, you cannot talk about climate change the impact and detriment without underscoring the the future of these countries the geographical regions but when we weigh them against representation in the international space there is the perspective or the feeling that there is still great underrepresentation of the caribbean of the other asia asia pacific regions as it relates to climate change and climate action mm -hmm. um certainly lack 
lack of representation across the global south and a whole um, and I think there is there are several reasons and factors why why that is as the way it is um, none of it to be discounted none of it to be excused but recognizing for instance if you look at the young advocates and activists uh, Greta Thunberg yes Greta Thunberg is by no means the only young person who has been striking right um, Greta has done a phenomenal job in terms of initiating and, and, and bringing that to the fore however you have young people in the Congo you have young people in Argentina young people in Kenya young people in the Caribbean even who have been working on the front lines and let me remember to mention those young people in the Pacific Islands who have been living these experiences yes. and so for them it's not an abstract far-fetched kind of down-the-road reality it is their now and they have been doing a lot of work in their own spaces to bring attention and to agitate now Greta has gotten a lot of coverage because Greta has access in a way that our young people do not have right Greta has means and resources and people who are willing to support and cover right, right. We see where Greta could have sailed from um, Europe to North America recently yes a lot of us would have wanted to use that route to offset emissions but how many of us right. can solicit the kind of funding support in order to make that happen um, and so this is this is not by no means an attempt to not Greta's efforts no. um, we see what we call now the Greta Thunberg effect yes. you know and the repercussions and the ripple effects of Greta's actions but that is to say that we are intrinsically inherently at a disadvantage as the global south yes. and I do not think that that will change anytime soon unfortunately so even though we recognize that the young persons themselves have a responsibility to advocate and to make themselves seen and heard when you compare the resources and the numbers even right it means therefore that at the highest level where you know they determine who and how and when there needs to be allowances for Caribbean youth for African youth for Asian youth in a way that creates more balance and parity I I, 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 I can't see how I can disagree I have to just endorse everything that you just said because if I'm supposed to even speak to that in practical terms and even leaving away from the summit because as we, we, we knew how we felt about the summit and of course we know that there's always room for improvement but as part of action accountability is important and today I am happy that I had the opportunity to represent the Caribbean in the conversation that was facilitated by the INEB but even in a, in a greater terms when I engaged with the other youth advocates who were there a lot of persons I have one day to, to, to be a part of the dialogue yes I do understand there are other obligations but when I and when I know some of these these other other delegates are part of their, their country delegations not just country delegations but a part of other other networks that enable them that opportunity to dialogue deeper to be aware and not even that the purpose of the conversations it's good that our perspective is being considered but how do you in practical terms make good on that collaboration exactly if I am speaking about communication and, and awareness building and integrating awareness in, in, a, in, a, in education and, and other spaces you have persons who are advocating for youth entrepreneurship and innovation and, and sustainable development outside of just hearing what we have to say how the follow-up mechanisms you know these are things that a 
lot of these organizations they still have an opportunity to make ground on and so it becomes less of a of a of a I don't want to say it's PR but it, it becomes less of a of some sort of appeasement to say yeah. I am including you but to what extent yeah. because inclusion it is there no one is saying we cannot we can no longer argue that youth are not being included we but to what that. extent well yes we can <laughs> <laughs> right meaning they're there they're present but in what capacity because I, I know even just being here at COP25 having the international experience and knowing that alright I'm interested in climate change I have a role to play as a communicator but then it, it shows you a, a more avenues that you can deepen your engagement for me not just about spreading awareness but there are levels to communication advocacy that needs to happen and that and it will help if you if you if I have a greater platform if people like me who are looking on or persons even outside of the space can understand the different platforms that exist how that how can they collaborate with the international organizations local organizations so when we talk about giving young people a space and giving them it's not enough to create a space for youth bringing them because we're operating in the same world mm -hmm. we, we, I, I, I had spoken with another advocate before talking about this mentality about you know when you have Christmas dinners or certain certain social settings where you have the adult table and the kiddie table mm -hmm. it's kind of like that sometimes when, when you think about climate and youth engagement and we don't always need we, we, we don't always want that kind of structure that kind of arrangement because we're in a society in real terms that we're in the same boat so we need to work together so it's not enough to just come and, and hear what we have to say how are you collaborating with the youth who are leading on these initiatives with the youth who are who are, who are championing the causes you know from from their community and the different spaces how is the follow-through and i think a lot of that is what we need to make ground on following through and following up I, I wanted to also ask you you I was following your your presentation today participating in a panel discussion looking at the lessons learned best practices and opportunities within multi-country project implementation could you speak to us about your role in because I know you'd be a part you're part of the national you are the national coordinator for the for the Japan Caribbean Climate Change Partnership, so you're the you're the Jamaica National Coordinator, Talk National Coordinating Officer in Jamaica yes. for that project, which was a Japan-funded project that spanned eight countries in the Caribbean, uh, Jamaica being one of them. Uh, I would be bold enough to say that it was an excellent example of a successful bottom-up approach to climate. Uh, action in a way that allowed for effective engagement of communities, people on the ground, indigenous communities, men, women, children. That particular project uh, ran for eight years, four years, I'm sorry, and is now concluding. It wraps at the end of this month. But out of that, we were able to identify some really solid examples of good practices, project right. implementation, good practices. Um, for the most part, they relate 
relate to the methods of community engagement, the methods of women inclusion, right. how and where young people were included, the ways in which the project itself and the outcomes were communicated, the ways in which government stakeholders were engaged. Right. Um, I think we successfully managed to bridge the gap between ourselves as project implementers and the people on the ground and created a project scenario that allowed for deep and meaningful inclusion of people at all levels in such a way that they fully own the project and in such a way that the sustainability of the project is largely guaranteed because they are committed to seeing that through. Um, as long as the project continues to benefit them, I, I suppose, um, in terms of the outputs, um, for instance, they were given water harvesting systems on their right. farms. So as long as they continue to make great use of those resources and with the support of the community groups that were engaged to support the implementation, we are confident that they will continue to benefit from those um, outputs for a long time to come. Right. I, 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 I like that. And as you mentioned about um, this project and the interventions and we were speaking about young people who and, and the actions that youth are taking within the context of this project or even in, in your in your wider experience could you share with us some of the concrete some of the examples how young people are actually taking action in, yeah. in the Caribbean space I think I think young people in the Caribbean are like young people in most other parts of the world they are very busy very you know action oriented they have a lot going um, they are looking to go to school they're looking to earn they're looking to start families you know if we're looking at the older young people um, and so they have these needs and, 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 and issues that they have to attend to they're in, in the Caribbean in particular there are issues related to education and crime and sexual health and reproductive health and politics that young people have to navigate along with their other realities yes. right and so sometimes when people say you know young people no business or young people not involved or young people just want to use them phone um, I don't think they're being fair to the young people uh, because the fact is that they have their own day-to-day -day lived experiences that determine what they can and cannot give attention to but in any case what I've observed particularly in the realm of climate change is that we have some very passionate young people who are willing to go the extra mile in terms of doing this work. They're doing this work with very limited resources, with very limited support as well, and are largely led from a place of just wanting to do good. Uh, we have had the pleasure of working with uh, a group of young people across the eight countries that this project was implemented in. Um, we saw, for instance, where they were asked to organize what we call satellite events in the lead up to the UN Youth Climate Summit. And all of these young delegates, delegates or organized events in their countries that attracted over a hundred young people in some instances, wow. just talking climate change, talking about youth needs and youth issues. I have worked with young people in Jamaica um, as a part of a 350.org um, initiative, uh, Climate Rise of Climate, um, which was hosted last year, September 8th. And I had a sit down with young people just talking about what are their fears and concerns about climate change and to hear them say things such as you know we're worried that we won't have any water we're right. worried that they're going to be wars and you know civil wars over climate we're worried that all the trees will be gone by the time because they're looking down the road and they're seeing themselves as inheritors
features of the earth and, and, and what is happening in it. And so young people have some real fears and concerns about climate change, but that withstanding, they're also ready to do their part to ensure that in terms of creating a safer and better place for, for them and their children to inherit, you know, they're doing that job. I, I have great faith in the young people of the Caribbean to continue this work going forward. I know that they are, like I said, greatly disadvantaged in comparison to some of their counterparts in the global north. But that withstanding, they're also looking to partner where they can and to, you know, take the good practices from other places and apply in our context to see how best they can move things forward. And and what kind of support do you think should come from the powers that be when we speak about governments and the private sector and, and international organizations? What, um, if you, you know, because of course you would have, you are in a, a position to speak on behalf of the youth. What is it then? Because they, they have the tenacity, they have the will, and they have the ideas. What, what is it that young people need now? They need, they need money. <laughs> That's a given. Um, they need policies and frameworks that support their inclusion. And not in a tokenistic way, but in a real and meaningful way that says we recognize you, we see you, we hear you, and we're taking your ideas into full consideration. They need to be at the table and not just on the agenda. You know, because I think regardless of what we think, the issues are, youth issues are very different from those of the other stakeholders at the table. Right. Um, and and they, their issues and their approaches are generally going to be the ones that look down the road. You know, they, whatever they come up with is going to be tied into the sustainability of our actions. Uh, they need youth-friendly spaces, right, to, to do their work and to, to, to fully express their ideas without fear of any reproach. Yes. Um, I think we have a culture in the Caribbean of young people should be seen and not heard and speak when you're spoken to. And I think that goes a far way in, in shaping just how young people view themselves in our part of the world. I know it's not unique to the Caribbean. I think in some African societies it's a similar um, ideology where young people are not encouraged to speak up and I think that has also determined and influenced what we've seen in terms of the, the disparity in terms of youth engagement in, in developed countries because right. the culture of youth engagement is different and I think that's kind of a institutional and cultural barrier to youth engagement um, in, in our part of the world but like I said withstanding that youth are carving out their own spaces um, social media has been an excellent tool among our youth delegates in the Caribbean they're using that to their benefit and um, they are also showing that through other innovative means they're getting the word out and, and, and doing their part to be a part of the of the change and to determine the outcomes in a way that benefit young people but more broadly to society at all right and Aisha I don't know if I'm if I'm gonna well I wouldn't be pulling your leg because it wouldn't it wouldn't exactly be in your space but when I listen to you speaking and consider everything that you've contributed and I also wanted to touch on a presentation that you did recently 
social transformation through youth engagement. The social transformation part made me think about cultural transformation. And there is a subculture and a pecking order in almost everything. And you have some people who are still skeptic of climate change situation. And when I say that, I'm not talking about deniers. I'm talking about the persons who are skeptic that the change will not happen because we are too locked into the culture where some people are too comfortable and there are people, powerful people, who want to preserve the status quo. Should that have any bearing on how we feel about acting and you know giving up what does that mean i don't think it's a question of should it have any bearing i think without a question it has bearing yes um like with anything else or perspectives and attitudes to any phenomenon is shaped by you know or cultural experiences or cultural beliefs and it's no different with climate change um that is why you know the inclination generally among americans for instance is to Dis dispute the argument related to climate change because it's a culture of buying it's a culture of um, material things a culture of ownership possessions um, in, in in germany and in in the culture that seems larger more a collective a kind of group culture you see where a shift to renewable a shift to a more green economy something that has bought uh, people have bought onto more readily because of the sheer idea um, of how we live and who we are um, and so we will see that will continue to shape our perceptions to climate change. But I think one of the other things that we've seen in recent times is how on the personal level, and I'm hoping that it is creating a shift towards a more collective consciousness, is how you know just personal value systems influence our actions around climate. And I say that to recognizing that it largely tied into what we see with even veganism or right. people's choices about you know how they live and you know what they use and recyclables and whether or not you use plastic straws or don't use plastic plastic straws that's largely intrinsic that's largely based on your own value system and we can only hope that those ideals are something that other people will buy into but there's no guarantee eh? so rather than changing individual actions I think the the, the harder job but the more um, imperative process or action is to change people's mindsets and we know for a fact based on the work that we've done and that's not something that happens in in, in short in, in a short-term kind of process but that is going to be at the heart of creating meaningful long-term change true and i suspect that it, it becomes increasingly challenging too when the mindset of those who we're trying to change are also the people who hold the reins to yeah. power and decision making to, to you know to make this overall process easier and I, I lastly I wanted to ask <laughs> we I would have or we would have overheard um, a general conversation a lot of people thinking that climate change being the in thing no and you know because I, I, I had somebody who said to me be careful how you immerse yourself in the space or brand yourself because you know a few years ago it was global warming now we're talking about climate change in the future it could be something else do you think what, what's what's your your opinion on people or what do you have to say to people who regard climate change as a trend and the new cash 
um i i would hesitate to blast them completely because the truth is that there tends to be a shift in the terminologies ever so often yes um and that is a change largely driven again by international development partners it was mdgs it's now sdgs it was global warming it was greenhouse effect it was ozone layer and so the focus of the discourse shifts ever so often that happens also because of the information that emerges with time um so you know once when scientists only understood the greenhouse effect and the depletion the ozone layer then that's where the conversation was centered we've moved away from that and i do not think there's any doubt there shouldn't be at least any doubt in anyone's mind about the validity of the arguments around climate change i think the science is there the best available science the data is there the facts are there people are living the impacts of climate change in in very real and tangible ways what we ought to be careful of is how we sell that how we message it and package it mm. and how we brand it we do not want to consider it a trend we do not want to consider it a short-term kind of you know en vogue issue because the fact is that there's a lot at stake life and death is not a trendy issue life life and death is not you know in vogue life and death is not a cash cow issue and that is what we're talking about people's lives are at stake and regardless of what the terminology is what ought to be understood is the seriousness and urgency of that and the fact that people's lives are on the line if we do not do what we need to do to respond to climate change oh thank you and last question i want to ask you leaving cop 25 we know that the global leaders and the countries will have come with their ambitions what are you hoping that is achieved from this international engagement i'm i'm hoping that i mean cop is cop is what it is cop is a meeting of the parties cop is talk it's a lot of talk it's a lot of meetings a lot of talk um but ever so often you get some real you know interesting and optimistic outputs um paris agreement was a strong one um that did a lot to kind of rein in countries um we have seen some actions and decisions taken that are also very useful the creation of a gender action platform that guides countries in terms of gender integration and gender responsive climate action so in recent times we've seen a few decisions made that all go well for climate action going forward cop 25 itself has been interesting from the shift from chile due to um, unrest which was also in part tied to climate realities in that country you know um across the world right now um across latin america i know for sure there was a lot of um activity a lot of youth led action calling out governments lobbying governments a lot of it tied to issues related to just you know hunger and, and money issues and and survival issues tied up in climate change and so i think countries are coming here with an understanding that their people are willing to upset the status quo completely to create a better life for themselves there is an understanding that people are restive there's an understanding that people are impatient there's an understanding that it's urgent there's an understanding that issues related to species like um, extinction the issues related to migration issues related to 
see ice melting in the Arctic are urgent. One of the things I would love to see stem from this meeting is decisions around climate finance that would ensure that developing countries are better able to tap into those resources to do what is needed in their spaces to adapt and build resilience to climate change. Another thing that I would love to see is if we could foster um, agreements or facilitate agreements that allow for more seamless transfer of technology and tools that developed, developing countries need to access in order to enhance their capacity to respond to climate action. I think those two things, um, based on what I know so far of the process, I mean, there are other things that are at stake, obviously, other I's that need to be dotted and T's to be crossed, but in a, in a tangible way, I really hope that in terms of allocating resources, financial, technical, and otherwise, to developing countries, that that process is, is clearly outlined and facilitated in a way that would allow, you know, developing countries to, to respond um, in, in a substantive way to, cl to the climate crisis. Well, uh, such, so many wide, important and critical perspective and information shared today. Aisha, thank you so much for, you know, sharing with us on Global Yadi. And we wish you all the best. And of course, I look forward to the continued work and collaboration as we are trying to protect the quality of life and the quality of our future. Thank you, Dana, and all the very, very best with Global Yardi and everything else that you touch.